Welcome everyone to the Medspiration Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nav Badesha, and this is episode number one with Nicole and Jemmy. Cannabis, cigarette smoking, binge drinking, and death. In this week's episode, we're sitting down with a woman who cuts open dead people for a living. We go in depth about all the disease she sees, all their causes, and more importantly, we discuss how the culture in the United States influences the top leading causes of mortality, such as heart disease and cancer. Nicole shares some gruesome details about some of the goriest and nastiest things she's seen, and she also answers questions that many of you submitted through our Instagram. If you're tuning in today, let us know you're out there and you're listening. Send us a message on Instagram and tag Medspiration in your posts and stories. Let all your friends know out there that you're Medspired. And a huge thank you today to our sponsor, Caribbean Medical University. Are you interested in becoming a practicing medical doctor in the United States? CMU is a fully accredited medical school that offers you an incredible opportunity to study abroad in one of the most beautiful Caribbean islands and then transition to the United States for your hospital training. I personally know some great resident physicians here in the Chicago area who went to CMU and loved the experience. Caribbean Medical University has partnered with Medspiration to bring you a once-in-a-lifetime discount. Apply today and see if medicine is in your future. You can visit cmumed.org forward slash medspiration and enter the discount code MDSPR to have $74 taken off your application. Again, that's a $74 value when you visit cmumed.org forward slash medspiration. Be sure to enter the discount code MDSPR to receive a discount when you apply. Am I obsessed with death? I don't know if I'm obsessed with it, but I mean, I'm around the thought of it all the time. But I really want to teach people, and it's it's a fine line because I want to show the world the truth about death and life and diseases. My name is Nicole Angemi, and I run the Instagram account at Miss underscore Angemi, and I'm a pathologist assistant. So pathology, in, to just to sum it up, is just the study of disease. That's all it means. I started at an educational hospital and I was really into teaching and I did a ton of autopsies over the course of a couple years and we had conferences and we showed organs all the time and I loved it. And then I had a study set of organs that I used to keep aside for teaching. And then I thought maybe more than students or would be interested in this. I think everybody in the world would be interested in this. I think everybody should be interested in what's going on in our own bodies. Why would you want to open colons full of poop? And why would you want to be covered in blood all day? Like, you don't want to do this. And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Medspiration podcast. It's an absolute honor and privilege to have one of the most badass human beings on this planet on our show today. So most of you know her as Nicole and Jemmy, pathologist, assistant, human dissector, and autopsy specialist. Those are all professional ways to say that once you die, you might end up on Nicole's table and she'll have no problem cutting you open and discovering the exact cause of your death. So it's safe to say that our guest today has a very interesting relationship with death. Nicole. I love speaking with influential individuals who are doing inspiring things. And this week, we told our followers that Medspiration would be interviewing you. And we got more than 100 different questions that were submitted to you. We won't go over all of them. Without further ado, can you please tell the audience out there, give them a formal introduction, tell them a little bit about yourself and what you do. So my name's Nicole and Jemmy, like you said, and I run an Instagram account. I have almost, well, I have over 1.7 million followers. I started a couple years ago. I was doing a blog by myself, just iheartautopsy.com, and it wasn't really getting any play. So my husband suggested that I kind of bring it to Instagram, and that's kind of it. It just kind of blew up when I started, and... It's just been so awesome and so much fun with the exception that I get kicked off every once in a while. 
for my graphic content, but it's still cool. And I'm a pathologist assistant, so I have experience working in surgical pathology and autopsy. And I kind of just show any like range of diseases or death or accidents or anything that could happen. So you've you've been on Instagram for quite some time now, right? Yes, I think like almost five years. Yeah, I, I remember the first time I came across your Instagram. I was first year medical student. You had actually posted a video of a baby that was born with ectopia cordis, which is a congenital malformation in which the heart, it's abnormally located either partially or outside of the body. Uh, at the time, I, I remember I started following because I was like, oh, this is so cool. This individual's educating through Instagram. And it's like, for me, you know, I was studying so much pathology. That's the, the bulk of med school. And uh, it was really nice to put like the visuals and the videos to the pathology. So I became a big fan right off top, and I remember, I think your account got shut down multiple times, but I remember I was like, whoa, where did she go? And then I found that you started another account, and that's when I reached out to you for the first time, and I was like, hey, like, I've been following you for a long time. I think Medspiration had like 10,000 followers at the time, and we, uh, I just want to shout you out and get you back out there, because I was like, man, I can't believe Instagram's doing this, and Check it out. What happened four years later? Now we got so many educators on Instagram. So many people actually, like, including myself, you actually inspired that educational side to social media, especially for me too. Like one thing I learned from you was as I go through medical school, as I'm learning new things about anatomy, physiology, pathology, I really wanted to create something inspiring for people to be able to learn from and to relate with. Let's get straight into it here. I know that the most common question that we got from all of our followers was, uh, why did you choose your profession? I'll, I'll start from the beginning. I originally just decided to go to college when I was 19 because I dropped out of high school and I was teen mom and stuff. I mean, a lot of people know my story kind of. So I just enrolled in college to become a nurse because that's what my cousins did. And that's like what girls did back in the late 90s. So I enrolled in nursing school. And then, you know, the first year of college, they put you in like biology and uh, psychology or whatever and English. And so that was the first time I ever took biology because I dropped out of high school. So I never took it. Like really the first day I started looking at under the microscope at like onion cells, just basic stuff. And I was like, this is so cool. So I asked my teacher if I could get a job just like looking under the microscope. And she, she was a medical lab microbiologist and she was like, Oh yeah. And she kind of introduced me to the whole world of pathology, like right away. So my undergrad degree is in cytopathology, which is like looking at pap smears and stuff under the microscope. And then I just kind of got into gross anatomy and pathology just from working in the same department at the hospital. Very recently, I, I remember learning multiple times that the, the most common cause of death, number one in America is heart disease. Number two is cancer. The third most common cause is unintentional injuries and stroke. So I guess the question I want to ask you, since you cut open humans for a living, is are these the most common that you see? And if so, how many of them are preventable? Whenever you're working in the hospital, it, de it depends on what the socioeconomic you know, situation is where you work. But for the most part, I would say that that's kind of dead on. The thing is, is that most people think, you know, if you do an autopsy and the cause of death is like heart disease or something, a lot of people just think, well, oh, I don't have a history of that in my family. Like, I'm cool. And People don't realize that everything they do can cause heart disease, like drinking alcohol and definitely smoking cigarettes and diabetes and all those things. So these are things that a lot of people like bring on themselves and then cause damage basically usually to the coronary arteries and then in turn, you know, causes heart disease like that. But so many things that we see between tobacco use, drinking alcohol and obesity for sure and then, you know, oncogenic viruses like hepatitis C or something like that. As far as, like, accidents and things like that, that's something that the medical examiner's office would do. And I did have some training in forensics, but it's not my day-to-day my -day specialty. So if anybody died in the hospital as a result of an accident or gunshot wound or suicide attempt or whatever, they would automatically go to the medical examiner's office. I'd love to talk more about uh, the smoking cigarettes and alcohol. So how often is it that you know, you cut someone open and they have really dark lungs and like, uh, what can you tell us about smoking and drinking? So the bulk of the work is surgical pathology. And now with 
you know, um, screening tests and this and that. Like, it's just so much better, you know, imaging. It's so, it's just so popular that we have, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 surgical specimens a year in, in lab. And, um, so that was where, believe it or not, that's where I saw the bulk of work or the bulk of the diseases as far as like alcohol related things, smoking related things and obesity related things. But we see so much breast cancer and there's so much hype about breast cancer that most women think that that's the, the number one cause of death when really it's lung cancer that is in women. So it's something we saw, you know, we would get like a, a lung lobe pathology and a lot of it is caused by smoking. But I think like a huge thing that people don't realize when they're smoking is like you, you also think about like oral cancers and things like that just because that's where the tobacco goes. But a lot of people don't think about like kidney cancer, pancreatic cancer, bladder cancer, bladder they, cancer. you know yeah. what I mean? And the damage it has on your blood vessels and, and even, you know, being impotent and every, like everything, it just causes like disarray in your entire body. So, and I've seen all of it from just from people with a history of smoking. And then as far as alcohol use goes, I mean, I probably saw more than the average hospital did just because um, I worked at a center that did liver transplants. So I saw a ton of cirrhosis. A lot of times it coincides with just the behavior of hepatitis C. So it's like a double whammy kind of thing. Drinking alcohol could cause any type of other things wrong with you too. I mean, you could just get like fatty liver disease because of it and increased omental fat increases your risk for, for any organ failure, basically. A cardiomyopathy, like something like that. You could get a lot of stuff just from drinking too. It just doesn't assault the liver. And then obesity is just a whole different ball game. I mean, so every time I would do an autopsy, at least at the academic center where I did the bulk of the work, I would always ask the pathology resident, were they fat? Like, that's my number one question because it's, especially when you have a younger person that's in their 50s, like, it's just a guarantee that when you go down to the morgue and open the body bag that they're going to be overweight. Just from the short time that I started until until now, it's like the increase in sleeve gastrectomies is um, for, you know, morbid obesity. It's just increased to a crazy number, in my opinion, a day. I mean, when I was just working at a small community hospital, sometimes I would get just in the one lab, I would get like five or six of them a day. Wow. Because back when I first started, they were doing like the Ruin Y uh, gastric bypass, which they mm -hmm. kind of don't do as much anymore. And we got us, you know, we would get a sleeve gastrectomy here and there and be like, what is this? This must be something new. And and then all of a sudden it's just like you're getting as many of them as you get gallbladders a day. You know what I mean? Wow. It's just kind of crazy. Yeah. It's, I know you love your gallbladders. Oh, I love gallbladders. They're so cool. They're like the oyster of pathology. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, I, th I think it's really fascinating to think about something that maybe most people don't realize about smoking and drinking is the systemic disease that comes with it and the amount of disease that comes in all different organs, including your blood vessels, right? And that's something I'm glad you could paint that picture for our followers out there because I think it's important to think of the implications when you smoke a cigarette. It goes from your mouth down your trachea into your lungs, but then, like you're saying, bladder cancer is really prevalent in smokers. It is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so uh, I do think it's fascinating that even though breast cancer is such a prevalent thing in women, that lung cancer is the most common cause. Now, is that also fully related to smoking cigarettes, or is there, you know, people who don't smoke cigarettes, they could get cancer? How's that work? A lot of people get lung cancer that don't smoke. It's just, I think whenever someone hears lung cancer, they automatically think that the person smokes, but mm -hmm. there's many times where we have a diagnosis of lung cancer where the person never even had a cigarette in their life. So what happens, this is kind of an interesting thing that I, I don't think a lot of people know. Like, let's say for instance, we get like a lung tumor at, you know, you just get a piece of lung and there's a cancer in it. And for us, we could usually tell which kind it is just based on the location. So if it's a squamous carcinoma that arises from like the bronchus, mm -hmm. it's going to, that's where the cancer will be. Whereas like an adenocarcinoma will be like more peripheral. So usually just by looking at the organ grossly, we could tell what it's going to be. Although you don't ever diagnose like that, we could just tell. So then we take a piece of the tumor and look at it under the microscope, and then they could say, okay, it's squamous or it's adenocarcinoma, but you can't tell just by looking at the microscope. So you can tell a little bit, like, 
based on morphology, you could say like, oh, this looks like it came from the colon or this looks like it's primary lung, but that's kind of not enough anymore. So we would do like special stains on it just to see. We could do special stains on it to find out like exactly where it's coming from in the body, which is super cool. So they'll do like a panel of, of stains to say like, okay, this is lung primary or this is it came from the breast or it came from the colon. So, you know, because it's really important for chemotherapy and oncology purposes to be able to know if a person has METS or not. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like my biggest thing, advice to anybody that works in medicine is just don't don't ever assume anything based upon what you learn because there's that's just like kind of a guideline, but you everything can go any other way. Like it's not whatever's written in the textbook isn't just always going to be what happens. So if we, even if I have an autopsy and I open up the body and there's like multiple lung tumors, you just can't assume, or multiple masses in general in the lung, you can't just assume that the person has metastasis just because in general, that's the rule Mm -hmm. because it could be TB. It could be, it could be anything. And that's why you just, there's been multiple times where we're like, oh, it's definitely this. And then you look at it under the microscope and you're like, shit, that's, we were wrong. (laughs) Like, yeah. And that's why it's dangerous when you just assume and you just turn off and don't continue educating and things like that. Yeah, some of the some of the greatest physicians that I had the honor of training under, uh, they're always watching their anchoring bias. So, you know, if they think it's one thing, uh, they'll usually have that internal check where they're like, okay, I know I think it's this, but what's the reason it can't be this, right? And that's that's one thing that I learned in my fourth year a lot. Do you have any other things to add in terms of cigarette smoking? So Medspiration has a tobacco cessation program. Uh, we have a lot of famous videos up on YouTube about uh, how to purify smokers' lungs and stuff. And like I realized a lot of our followers, they really vibe with just anything that gets them to quit smoking cigarettes or scares them, you know? So I'm sure you have a lot of gems in terms of that. Yeah, I mean, I was always ignorant to it as well like I never smoked just because I had asthma since I'm a little kid so I never like to me like it just it it looks gross it smells gross like I just never and I don't come from a family of smokers which I think it when you're around it all the time it's like people try you know Mm -hmm. and so when I first started working in pathology I was the same way like I didn't I didn't really realize one of the you know very first month I was working there, we got a resection of someone's face, you know, like a whole entire composite resection, like half of their jaw with like a part of their tongue and their mucosa and everything, you know, it just came down in a bag from, (laughs) from the OR. And I just kept looking at it like this person, this person's like upstairs right now, still alive. Like they're going to walk around with half their face off and yeah, it's from chewing tobacco or it's from smoking or this. And I'm just like, Oh, no, 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 this, this is what needs to be. And that's kind of like the thought of my Instagram. Don't tell people they're going to get lung cancer. Tell, cause people care more about like what they look like on the outside, you know? So I'm always just like <laughs> trying to push that. Like, you know, girls, like you're going to get premature wrinkles. Do you want wrinkles? Do you want your hair to smell? Do you want to have half your face cut off? Like they're the type of things that I think might scare people a little more, mm-hmm. but. I think people are just, you know, have that kind of attitude, like it's not going to happen to me. And that's why I like to post a lot of it to show <laughs> that it happens to like, you know, everybody knows that uncle that smoked into their 90s and like didn't die, right? Yeah. So I think it's important for a lot of people to know that it's not just like the tobacco, it's like a genetic component too, because there are people that can smoke their whole life and never have any uh, related injury to it. But that's maybe 5% of the population that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I can't even believe that they still exist in the world, let alone, <laughs> I mean, it just blows my mind. Like, you know, when you're in a crowd and you smell it and it's just like, I, I got to get away from it because I don't even want to take a breath of it in. And I'm like, oh, is, is this like cool again? Like people are smoking again. That's like a thing that <laughs> like did everybody, I think. Because I think that's what happened. Like, they pushed the anti-smoking campaign so hard, and mm-hmm. it dropped a little bit. Mm-hmm. And now it's, like, it's on the rise again. You know, now they have the e-cigarettes are a big thing, which they just essentially think is maybe almost like a gateway drug to, to cigarette smoking. We don't really know the long-term effects of e-cigarette use just because nobody's been smoking them for 25 or 30 years. I think a big thing is just, like, the burning. Mm-hmm. I just think it's... 
I think it's the burning of the chemicals, which is like the two-part um, assault. You could have like a stomach cancer just because of like burnt like nitrates and stuff like that. Like like in cytology, I learned so much just about like metaplasia and just you know when there's when there's like irritation to the mucosa, how it's just like kind of repair itself all the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when you do that, you're just kind of like asking for a problem because that's how that's how things go you know go crazy because the cells are constantly like going and then it, it you know that just gives it an increased risk for a problem but like when you read what's in the cigarettes it's it's so bad that the carcinogens that you're igniting as well so when people ask me about about smoking marijuana or about smoking like pure tobacco maybe it, I feel like definitely it would be better like if you're if you grew tobacco in your backyard and dried it and rolled it yourself, but like nobody's ever going to do that. I can believe that they legally sell them because they make so much money off of it. It's just crazy to me that any kids are even trying to start that. It's heartbreaking. It really is. It's so disturbing to me. And um, I there just there is hope. There is hope. I actually I just got back from South Africa, uh, Medspiration. We're a five hundred one c three nonprofit. We actually did a clean water project out there and. Uh, after we did the clean water project, I went to Cape Town, and Cape Town's gorgeous. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard of Cape Town, but yeah. um, so the people out there, I was really shocked. I was I was taken back because you know in America smoking and drinking is cool, right? Mm-hmm. Out there, people climb mountains to be cool. So so like they're all in phenomenal shape, and believe it or not, smoking and drinking is not cool out there. So people like look down at it, right? And like. That that really changed my perspective a little bit. Like, I know if another country can bring that and make that a thing, like, I believe that that's what we need to do. It's it's a part of our job as healthcare professionals to let people know, hey, no, like, this is this is not good for you. And if we want to make something cool, let's make being healthy be cool, you know? And like seeing that 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 completely changed it. And I think the addiction aspect of it, it's not given enough uh, love and respect because. You know, before I went to med school, I actually I worked at my father's liquor store, right? And here working at a father's liquor store, you know, you sell a lot of alcohol and you sell a lot of cigarettes. And I, I still remember one uh, person in particular came in and they actually had the, the tracheotomy. Yes, tracheostomy, yeah. Tra- they yes. Had the, the whole, yeah, the hole. The hole, the hole, right? And yeah. um, so, you know. They she, had she their larynx removed. Yeah, or usually – um. Well, you can get it before or after. If you have an obstructive tumor, sometimes they'll put it in just prior to surgery. Mm-hmm. But then if you get your larynx removed too, it's... She might have had, uh, you know, cancer there or something. But, you know, so she couldn't talk very well. But she still come in. She would come in like once every other day and buy a pack of cigarettes. And I'd see her buy the cigarettes and be like, hey, you know, like, uh, do you consider quitting? She's like, no, it's too late at this point. I'm going to keep going. And I, I just remember how much it actually hurt me to watch that and like... I'll watch her walk out. She would light the cigarette and she would smoke from, from her trachea. Like that's oh, how yeah. she... people definitely do that. It's so nuts. And I think another point for us to uh, discuss is that I don't know if people realize that when you have like a double assault of alcohol and tobacco, it increases mm. your risk for oral and esophageal cancer. Thank you. Like so much more. It's it's like double or something. It's something crazy. Just be and and like what's the typical thing when you go out and drinking yeah smoking and drinking exactly and so many friends I have they don't even they don't they're not smokers but they're like oh you know when I drink I just have to have a cigarette and you're like no that's like the worst thing (laughs) but that's the thing like people are they crave nicotine more when they're disinhibited by alcohol right so uh that's a very common thing so for our listeners out there there's many of them who probably drink alcohol who only smoke cigarettes when they drink. I actually know more people like that than people who smoke cigarettes all the time, right? So that is very important to bring up that it's like a double whammy. It's more damage to the body, right? So I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and it's, you know, you can't uh, – when you're trying to talk to people that think if they only have, you know, five cigarettes a month that they're cool, like it's just – I feel like it's it's never cool, you know. And you you hear stories about, you know, the people that are exposed to secondhand smoke, all the health problems that they have, and and you're just like you don't. I think ever taking it in is not 
is not a good thing, you know? And one thing that I'm starting to really believe is that now that the whole, you know, should we legalize marijuana thing is coming up so much. Mm -hmm. And I hear, I listen to like talk radio and watch the news a lot. And, you know, you hear what people like regular people have to say about it. And it's, it's all about like perception for people. They think like, okay, like marijuana is illegal. Therefore it's bad. Tobacco is legal and alcohol is legal. So it can't be that bad or they wouldn't let us do it because they don't let us do heroin and they don't let us smoke marijuana, but they don't let it, you know what I mean? And it people, people like tell themselves that it's, it's safe because, because our government like allows us to do it in the open, I guess, you know, when they start, they just, no, no one would ever really just like start heroin, not knowing that it's like bad for you. You know, it's funny because everybody would say like, oh, duh, like smoking cigarettes and heroin is just like on different playing fields. But like, is it really? It's just maybe nobody really lets us know because ultimately, I mean, yeah. I drove by the gas station the other day and saw that they're like nine dollars a pack now. <laughs> right. Like crazy. Well, capitalism, you know, a lot of the, the classifications of, you know, cigarettes versus heroin, it's uh, what's profitable, you know, and that's that's so interesting to talk about because, you know. Uh, the tobacco industry, like you said, is such a big industry. So they're able to, you know, stay relevant. And I remember when, uh, I don't think I was alive for it, but I remember reading about it. Like once, you know, they linked tobacco use to cancer, like the tobacco industry tried to keep that under wraps for as long as possible. Oh yeah. You know, and like just the, just to make more money. Right. And that's, I mean, we live in America. Capitalism is alive and well. And, you know, just because, somebody is selling you something and they say something else is illegal it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do a little bit more research and actually see if it's if it's good for us or not and you know, you talk about cannabis and uh i actually remember i uh i produced a video on how cannabis affects your health on youtube and our instagram got shut down this uh and luckily we got some insider people who uh got my got me my instagram back within like 24 hours and I reached out to you. I don't know. Even, I don't even know if you remember this, but you, uh, once you found out, you did a post for us, and you're like, "Hey, go check out this video on YouTube. How cannabis affects your health." Because, um, you know, I myself was really interested. I had, um, so you know, you're into pathology. Do you know who Hussein Sitar is? No, I don't okay. think so. I feel like his name is familiar, but I'm not sure exactly who he is. He's a pathologist here in Chicago. I believe he teaches at the University of Chicago. Um, okay, and. You know, I had him as a pathology professor, and I remember uh, while while we were talking about lung cancer and we were talking about cigarettes and the carcinogens in cigarettes that they've directly seen that those carcinogens are cancer-causing and those are in cigarettes. And uh, somebody in the class actually asked him, hey, uh, cannabis, what about marijuana? Does it have carcinogens in it? Does it cause cancer, right? And, um, you know, I'm going to pose this question to you. What what he said at the time was they have not discovered carcinogens in marijuana itself it's not to say that if you consume cannabis a lot that you know we haven't done enough research to be able to tell people whether it's going to cause cancer or not but his answer at that point was we haven't found any carcinogens in cannabis and that's kind of where he left it have you discovered anything else since then first i'm going to say that whole entire time in my whole entire career i've never ever seen a person's chart or a requisition slip that comes with a surgical specimen that says that the person has either obtained this disease from marijuana or has died as a result of marijuana use. Now, that being said, and it's probably the same thing that your professor has seen, that it's hard it's hard to say because at this time in most like, I know if, if I'm working in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania right now, like, marijuana is illegal. When I go to the doctor, I'm, like, honest with everything I do because I want them to have the full picture of, like, what's wrong Thank with you. me. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> people are scared. Like, people are scared to say that they do something illegal because they don't want to get in trouble for it. So that's the thing. Like, you might have somebody that they ask history and they say, you know, do you smoke cigarettes? Do you drink? And it's like, yeah, yeah, because you're allowed to do that. But do you, because a lot of the questions, um, just at the doctor's office, I know just being a patient, you know, do you use illegal drugs? Well, a person like smoking weed every once in a while, 
is a lot different than a person that's injecting heroin or whatever, doing meth or coke or whatever. So I think that a lot of people are inclined to just like lie about that. Say no. Yeah, that's true. And then that's going to kind of skew our results because we don't have an honest opinion. When it becomes legal now, are people going to buy it at a dispensary where it's like regulated and it might not be cut with stuff and it's more pure and, I'm just curious to see what happens in the next X amount of years. Likewise. As far, you know, like when, when it's legal and people can actually say, yeah, I've, I've done this for 30 years and I've never smoked cigarettes and I've never drank alcohol. Like me, like I only use marijuana. I don't do, I know I don't drink alcohol and I never smoke cigarettes. I did speak with a professor recently at um, Jefferson. That's a urologist. And he was asking me, because I was having some issues with uh, my bladder, mm-hmm. and he was asking me, you know, he's like, you don't smoke, right, and you don't drink, and I was like, no, and I said, but I do smoke marijuana, and, and he said, well, do you do it with the, the vape pen, or you just do it, like, you know, old school, mm-hmm. and I said, well, I, I do both, and he said, like, I, I would just stop smoking it regular. It's starting to, you know, turn gears in people, because they're scared, especially when you're buying it technically illegally. Like, you just don't even know. He thinks it's more of, like, the burning of – because yeah, – like, Yeah, be, just because, like, marijuana alone will will not kill you, but it's, like, the burning of it is totally changing the chemical composition of it. So, you know, when you – maybe if you eat it, like an edible or something, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. Now, I, I've also heard from medical examiners that – They'll say, like, even if somebody isn't 100%, the cause isn't from marijuana use, they might be involved in, like, an accident and and die where they're, they have it in their system. And marijuana is kind of like a weird thing because you can't really regulate how much, like, I guess when you smoke it, it only you only could take so much. But um, when you eat it, it's like a totally different thing. You should kind of treat it as alcohol. You shouldn't be operating a motor vehicle and like it's something you do at home when you're staying at home I'm not sure that there's been like legitimate research like I'm talking about research from like an academic center with Mm -hmm. specimens with knowns and every you know what I mean I'm not sure and I think that they'll start doing it more just because they're starting to legalize it but I also do think that if it has medicinal purposes, which it's proven to have, I don't, I don't see, I don't see what the problem is. And it's just because of what we were talking about earlier. Like if you're going to, you're going to make alcohol legal, you're going to make tobacco legal. Like marijuana is definitely probably better than both of those. I would say like what's going on in the news this week, like a person, you know, drinking too much alcohol when they were in high school and it being like a lapse in judgment for whatever, you know, they're trying to prove. And, that just doesn't happen on marijuana. You know what I mean? You know, I have I have a daughter who's probably your age. She's twenty three, and um, she like I always told her like, yo, if you if you really got to get messed up with your friends, like it's way better to smoke weed than to drink alcohol. Well, this is a debate that's gonna that's gonna continue for the decades to come, and uh, I'm really hopeful that we we get some real definitive research because uh, it's something that. You know, the population deserves to know the truth. I'm interested to see what what comes of it. Did you have anything else to add in terms of uh, cannabis, alcohol, or tobacco? Because this was a very interesting conversation. I just want people to know that it's it's so, so, so common, you know? Yeah, thank you. I can't even emphasize that. I mean, it's it's good for pathology because you guys keep us in business. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's so true. And also, like, yeah, I always say if someone's having like a really horrible diagnosis, I mean, it's it's good for us. Like, the bad pathology is fun for us, but it means Academia. someone else is having yeah, a bad day. <laughs> if you just took away everything that was associated with diabetes, obesity, like things that most, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people bring diabetes on themselves and stuff. It's, mm-hmm. you would have like no work, you know? So. <laughs> right. And diabetes, speaking of which, you know, metabolic syndrome, just people that are overweight, you know, they, they're more, they have a propensity of getting fatty liver disease and diabetes. And a lot of that is really tied into drinking a lot of beer. If you look at the the oh, common yeah the average male in America and how much his beer consumption is and how that adds to his 
obesity, central obesity specifically, they're starting to link the fact that central obesity contributes to your likelihood of getting diabetes and fatty liver and heart disease, the number one killer, which that's a great way to connect the fact that, you know, these are systemic diseases we're talking about when we talk about alcohol consumption, cigarette consumption, right? So yeah, uh, very interesting. Oh, this person has a beer belly, and you're like, a beer belly is omental fat, and that's that's the worst kind of fat to have. Absolutely. You'd rather have, like, a fat ass. You don't want a fat belly. Like, <laughs> you I know? love that it's, People need to see what it looks like inside. It's just fat encasing every one of your organs, and then your heart can't beat normal because it's just – it's heavy. Another thing, too, is that I think alcohol consumption is just getting worse, and people – you know, there's guidelines as what's an alcoholic. And I know so many alcoholics that would never, that don't, they're like, no, I go to work every, you know, just cause you don't wake up and you like need vodka to get on for the day. Like, I'm like, but you drank five beers every single day. Like that's considered an alcoholic. I don't think people will ever tell themselves that and then see, you know, if you really added that up over years and years and years, like the assault on your liver is just not good. <laughs> you know, our culture kind of enables it. You know, having gone to college, I realized like binge drinking is, is the way that like when I went to college, that's how it was. It's like, you know, we go hard Monday through Friday. We make sure we get our studying done. But then Saturday, everybody knows the Kraken party and everybody knows you're getting plastered, right? So just the culture, I feel like at the time, in those four years, it doesn't seem that bad. But then what I've noticed is – yeah, and, you know, I, I quit drinking quite a few years ago now. But what I've realized in just people that I know personally, it doesn't stop there. You know, so in college, you may be drinking, you know, 20 drinks in one night and it might just completely be – you know, you're obliterated one night. But then slowly and steadily, I've noticed after people graduate college, you don't just stop that. Even – alcoholism at least in my generation it seems to be something that's it, it takes progression it takes time and it does start small just like everybody did but then eventually it's just a because everybody's okay with consistently consuming alcohol i feel like it's not really addressed either it's almost just it's common and it's okay you know and that's where uh yeah we as healthcare professionals we do have to take a look at that and be like you know uh is this the right thing just because culturally everybody is partaking in it or you know, and the commercials, you know, you watch, uh, I'm a huge football fan. I watch commercials, obviously, when the football game's on, and every other commercial is like a, a commercial of alcohol. It doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, you're. I know, you're right. Like, my mom, for instance, I wouldn't consider her to be, like, straight edge or anything. She'll have, like, a cranberry and vodka every once in a while, but, like, that's it for her. It's always been it for her. Yeah. It's very hard for people to be like an occasional smoker, an occasional alcohol drinker. Like if you had a problem at one point, you should probably like never touch it again because mm -hmm. it always just escalates and then you drop off and then it escalates, you know what I mean? Cause you just have that, you know, that what people call like an addictive personality or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's the same way, like people and, you know, people just carry on for, for years and years and years, and then they don't – like, if you sat there and calculated, like, everything they drank, it would be – Yeah, my millennials, it's like a go oh. hard or go home type of mentality where people – you know, like I was saying, the binge drinking, going hard and going home or going home is – you know, it – it adds up. I always just tell my friends, uh, I'll ask them, you know, they call me all the time and I'm like, hey, how many drinks did you have this week? You know, because like once you get over 25, you really start have to, you start having to think about, okay, how many alcoholic beverages am I really consuming? Because uh, I try to tell them, try to make it less than 10, please, you know, just count. And every time I talk to them, they'll tell me, you know, now they'll actually just report back to me like, hey, I had less than 10 drinks this week. I'm like, okay, that's, that's great because Really try to pace yourself. I do believe the latest research, they did prove that uh, not even one alcoholic beverage is proven to actually be beneficial. They used to say that it was cardioprotective, like one alcoholic beverage every now and then. But uh, I believe the latest research actually uh, said that no amount of alcohol is safe anymore. So that's, that's something. Yeah, is I that mean, it's, <laughs> you're drink like I always say, like it smells – when you smell alcohol, like it smells like hairspray, like you're drink. like, would you just sit there and drink hairspray? Like, no, it sounds well, weird, right? This is the best segue to the questions because uh, the first question we have from uh, a follower 
It was Elizabeth.t underscore. This is the exact question. So she said, uh, I read that when someone dies drunk, that their brain smells terrible when you cut them open. Their whole body smells terrible. It wow. smells like alcohol. You could, I, I had a case where we had a woman that died and I, we didn't know why, but she came to the hospital and she died in the hospital and it wasn't like suspicious to them. She was alive for like, you know, half a day. So we did the autopsy. She was only like 50. Like as soon as I made the incision and didn't even get into her abdomen, I was like, she stinks like alcohol. Like it's coming through her tissues. It smelled so bad. When I opened her up, she had like a pancreatitis, acute pancreatitis rupture. Like she bled to death, but it was like an acute episode of drinking and I smelled it in all of her tissues. It was crazy. I didn't even need to, like we did her blood alcohol just to see what it was or whatever, but we didn't even need to. Like I smelled it so strong. Think about it. Like if you know any alcoholics and stuff or you've been around a person, it's the same when you're around a smoker. As soon as you're near them, like your nose just triggers and you could you could smell when a person's an alcoholic because it's like coming through their pores. You're right. And it's when the person dies, it's the same thing. Like it's like embedded in all their tissues. It's so crazy. Wow. You know, and when I was in college, I used to drink and, you know, I'd still work out. So the next day I'd go work out. And once I get out of that steam room post-workout, you know, I could smell the toxins coming through my skin, but it's so fascinating to think about your perspective where you, know, you cut them open and it totally makes sense. I mean, if I, if I'm seeing it come out of my pores and it stinks that, you know, when you cut me open, it, it might stink everywhere too. But that's, see, that's a, that's a crazy visual. And I hope the people out there that, that makes them a little bit more mindful of alcohol consumption. Cause wow. Yeah. So we'll, we'll move on to <laughs> question number two uh, by faith ghosts. Uh, they said, what's the grossest and nastiest thing that you've ever seen one time we had a um a person had a this this is probably we had a person that just had she was super super obese and she had um like the panis removal mm -hmm. but for whatever like we get them all the time like this one was just different i guess it was so big she wasn't even really like she wasn't like status post weight loss. They just were kind of like cutting this off of her to debulk her in a way because she kept getting like these nasty infections like in the crease just because it was so heavy. So it was like really a resection of the, the abdominal skin, but with like a part of like the mons pubis attached um, inferior to the, the specimen. And it smelled like it just smelled so bad. Like it smelled like. Dead fish at the bay. It was so horrible. And like when we took it out of the bag, it like permeated the room. It was like everybody was just, I mean, it was the whole room. It was crazy. Certain bacteria like put off the anaerobes. Yeah. Such a nasty scent. Another specimen that I got that was really gross too. I feel like in general, I get more grossed out from surgical pathology specimens because the person's still alive. In my opinion, if a person's dead, like they're they're dead, they're supposed to be gross, right? What do you what do you want? Like a, a dead body that smells like flower? Like what do you want? You know? Whereas like a surgical specimen, you're like I like with that lady I was just talking about. I'm like ew, like she's upstairs right now, and and like nurses just had to take care of her with that thing attached, and you know that's what kind of grosses me out. Another case we had was this guy that had Fournay's gangrene, which also smells really bad. Mm -hmm. And um, for people that don't know what that is, it's basically like a necrotizing fasciitis, like flesh eating type of thing that happens usually like in the groin area. And mm -hmm. it could be associated with people that have diabetes. But in this case, this is like a horrible story. He had like a prolonged erection from taking Viagra. Like sometimes you have to go to the hospital to get that like, yep. you know, like to get the blood taken out basically. And whatever procedure he had, I'm not like 100% sure, but whatever procedure that he had to remove the blood, they like did the the wrong vessel, basically. Oh. And he ended up getting like gangrene to like the penis, right? So we got like a penis resection on like a 50-year-old guy, which was just horrible in general, but it was black and green and just smelled so bad. Like it, it just smelled so bad. 
you really had to, like, feel for this guy because basically it's like, all right, we're just going to cut off, like, all of your dead skin just to keep you alive. Like, we don't care that you have no quality of life anymore as far as that stuff goes. And But it smelled – it was another one, like, took the lid off the container. It was in formalin, like, overnight, and it still just smelled like – like, nothing could have killed that smell. It was horrible. And we presented it at a gross conference – and the same thing happened. Like, we brought it down to the morgue, like, what, three weeks after we got the specimen just to show it's a good teaching case because, you know, you work at a hospital with residents and people – and, and that's what you sign up for when you go there, right? Mm-hmm. And um, But that's the only way that we learn as well. God bless that man. Yeah. Okay. Well, moving on. So – Sharky Bates asked, what would you recommend for a college freshman if they want to be a PA? I mean, I think that my major really prepared me, um, which is cytotechnology. I think that that prepared me for being a PA just because you basically learn the disease process of, of cancer, which is like a huge thing. And then, so for example, like I, my PA class, I only had like 10 classmates and my there's 10 of us in the whole program and I was the only one that had cytology and there was other people that just had like a general biology degree and mm-hmm. so it was both bachelor's degree but they were so lost and I just I just it was kind of almost like a review for me and it was more intense because it was at the master's level when you understand like cancer and how it start like I feel like in PA school they just throw you in and they're like oh people have this thing called cancer but they don't like backtrack to like how it yeah. how it starts and like how it evolves from dysplasia to go you know and I learned that so much because in cytology you have to look for those different changes in cells before it becomes cancer mm-hmm. so I think it was like super useful to me that I had like a head on diseases like mostly cancer but infections too I feel like any kind of major it doesn't necessarily have to be cytology but maybe like any kind of lab thing just because the lab is kind of like the central yeah. there's no there's no specialty it's like you just have to know everything because it's pathology you need to know everything it's a good like entry thing and also i think it's good because my under so my undergrad degree was in cytology so when i was 19 like i started working in the lab because first it was like i took blood and then i put urine on microbiology auger plates and like but but like that's like job learning. Like I just learned. So then when I was a PA years later, I knew everything about the general lab just from working there. I knew everything like what blood tubes go with what, like that's not something a a PA knows. That's not anything we learn in school, but it's something you learn from like work experience. And it's not necessarily like something that you have to know to be a PA, but it's just, I want to know everything about every department. This way I feel like more well-rounded, you know? So I think anything lab is a good bachelor's degree to get. Perfect. Thank you. I'm sure that they'll find that helpful. So let's see. We got Timmy underscore asked, uh, what is one life lesson you learned through Instagram? I don't, I don't really know what, how to answer that question. (laughs) Um, I mean, the biggest change in my life, I guess I would say, is just that I used to just be like nobody, and now I go to Target and get... You're famous. Yeah, it's weird. It's hard for me to, like, think about that, because when I'm typing on my computer, it's just, like, writing for me is, like, a therapy for me. It, like, helps me chill out and stuff. Like, my husband says that to me sometimes. He'll just be like, Nicole, do you know how many people, like, fit in the Lincoln Financial Stadium down in, in Philly? Yeah. And he'll be like, just imagine you like standing in the middle and and talking to all these people. He's like, and you have like four of those stadiums. What? And then I, then I think about it and I'm like, oh, God, that scares me a little, you know, because oh. if I if I saw that all the time, like if I was just a famous singer or whatever, like going and seeing all the people, it would be like I would understand it. But like, I, I just don't now, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, well, I admire it so much because I, I feel like you use your platform to to give education, to actually improve people's knowledge. So, you know, uh, we could use these platforms in many ways, and uh, I have the ultimate respect for people who use them that, in that sense. And, like, even for me, um, you know, I founded Medspiration, which is a nonprofit in my first year of med school. 
uh, a lot of our success was due to social media. And one of the things that I realized is if we, if we're creating content that's to advance the human potential to improve the quality of life, uh, it becomes a what like you said, writing is therapeutic for you. Uh, that's what that's exactly what it was for me. Is you know I was spending so much time in med school learning so much so many things and. You know, a lot of times in med school, you kind of feel like, you know, you're learning all this stuff, but you're not really contributing to society like you always wanted to. So, you know, having this outlet through social media, I feel like it really allowed me to stay creative, uh, allowed me to kind of, it's like a meditation for me. But then, you know, knowing that we're able to help people while we get to do what we love, that that really uh, hits the right spot in my heart. So uh, I, I do thank you for what you've been doing and I hope you continue to use your platform the way you do. When you work in the lab and you don't see any of your patients mm. unless they're dead, like seriously, I mean, sometimes in the lab you might see like one or two people that don't work in your department a day, like a nurse bringing a specimen down or something. You know, you see more people when you go to lunch. You're not, you're like, what, why am I doing this? No, I'm not getting that. Even though like, you know, you're doing good work, like sometimes you just want to hear your, you're doing good work. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, of course. Because people, you know, people think about you have breast cancer and you get your breast cut off, right? And they're like, oh, my surgeon, I just love my surgeon. He saved my life. And you're like, well, what about the people in pathology that, like, helped you? Diagnosed you before people don't we even know we it. exist. And that's, that was, like, a big reason I wanted to do my thing because I'm like, nobody even knows we exist. Wow. <laughs> or wants to thank us for doing you know, for working hard all day and like, you know, using our brains to help their lives be better. You know, they don't even know about it. It's nuts. You know, I'm going through the, the residency process right now. I'm applying and I thought about applying the pathology. And, you know, the one thing that people were telling, because I'm a nerd, I, I freaking love pathology. So uh, I could see myself doing it. That was the main thing that I really heard from people is, hey, like you have a personality, you love people. Because I genuinely like I love human beings. You know, and I love being around human beings. And that was one that they were like, you know, you're not going to get as much patient interaction as you think. So that was one of the things that kind of kept me from applying into it. I feel like, and it's it's apparent when you work with people in pathology that there's a lot of <laughs> people that don't socially fit in. But it is, it's a, it's a very weird field of medicine because it is super, it's like super nerdy. It's just straight science, which is super yeah. cool. I, it's not like fluff. I love that you exist. That makes me yeah. happy. Yeah, like it's just like you're help you're helping people behind the scenes. It's just like you're a total nerd and you have to it's just the same thing I was talking about. Like you just need to know everything. Even if you decide like let's say you decide you want to be a hematopathologist and specialize in blood, it doesn't matter cuz to get to that point you need to know everything. Exactly. It's like not I feel like most other fields of medicine are kind of like an easy way out because you only, even though you guys had to go to med school and you do have to learn everything, it's once you kind of get into practice, it's it's not as all focused. Yeah, yeah it's really focused. Whereas in pathology, it's, it's the broadest. That yeah. is when when you talk a lot of people, you know, like email me and say they want to be a medical examiner, right? And I'm like, do you realize that a medical examiner is like one of the highest trained doctors that exist? Because people just think it's, you know, they have to do four to, I don't even know what's the residency now. Is it four years or it's five years? It's oh. it's four to five years, right, for pathology. And then you have to do um, fellowship. So you would have to do maybe like two years of fellowship to become a forensic pathologist. I heard the boards are like one of the hardest boards to pass oh, because you need to know everything. And then you get a job and it's like you're 30 something <laughs> and you know, you're, and you don't really even get paid that much. It's, it's considering the, the amount, the amount of, of effort yeah. you put into it. It's kind of like a labor of love that you want to do it. You know, I think that's why we go into medicine pathology. I mean, for me, definitely it's a labor of love and I am like you, the ultimate scientist. I, I can't get enough of the knowledge. So at least that keeps us going, you know? <laughs> The coolest part of it is that it just, it's always like evolving. It never, it never gets boring. You know, I never feel ended. like in family medicine, it might, it just might get routine because it's just like, oh, your nose is running. Oh, you have strep throat. Oh, like, I mean, you might get occasional people that might have something crazy, but I feel like as a physician, you might just turn off and just be like, 
mm-hmm. snacks, 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 mm-hmm. like nothing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in pathology, like when you're getting the specimen sent to you, it's because all these people are having a problem from all over the place. Sometimes pathologists take jobs, which are the highest paid jobs, like a satellite lab, like Quest Diagnostics, just like looking at GI biopsies all day. Those jobs pay so much money, but they have to be so boring because it's like you're just looking at screened, <laughs> like patients getting colonoscopies that are getting screened. Like, so you, you might look at, you know, 100 slides before you come across like, oh, this polyp is a little, this yeah. one, like, oh, that was the excitement of my day. So, oh. but when you work in a hospital, like the one that I just worked at, like low socioeconomic. So, I mean, it's it's unfortunate to even say this out loud, but when people are poor and they're not educated, it's like the best pathology, pathology. ever. <laughs> you no, know, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. I, I had to learn that in my third year. I would, you know, in your first two years of med school, you learn everything and you just read it and you've never really seen it, you know? And then like you hit, you hit the, the wards and you start seeing the things you've been studying, like to the depth that you have. I used to get really excited. I had to learn to tone it down in front of the patient because you can't get excited because you finally see a pathology that you've read all, all about. You know what I'm saying? So I'm still learning to kind of tone it back a little bit because, uh, you know, they get the wrong idea. They're like, yo, why, why are you happy that I'm suffering? And it's like, no, it's just, I think I know a lot about this and I really want to try and help, you know, and that's like the, the, the nerd in us, I guess. I think sometimes like being like that to me, I like, Sometimes I, I got to turn it back a notch and be like, like people, you know, like at this point, you know, that people are sending me emails all the time to p- picture, feature their disease on my Instagram. Oh, I bet. And people like write me like these big, long emails like, oh, my God, I had to have 20 surgeries and this and that. And I wrote back like, oh, this is so cool. Can I post this? <laughs> like, <I'm just laughs> not like, you know, so sometimes I'm like, all right, I just. I, I'll at least put it in another line, like, you know, how are you doing now? Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I feel yeah, like so desensitized sometimes because my mind is always just like, oh my god, like I'm talking to someone that actually like has this. This is so cool, and I want to show everybody this. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the last question. So, uh, a Jeep Paul B asks, what is your favorite tattoo, and what does it symbolize? I don't know if I've ever thought if I if I've had if I have a favorite. Uh-huh. I do have, I have a lot that like mean stuff to, like I have one for all the people in my family, and so I like those. And um, my husband and I have a lot of matching tattoos, which I, I think is yeah. like super cool. So we have like matching tattoos of like our kids' names, and we have one for like when we met, like because we met at Wawa. It's like a coffee plate, like a um. It's like an upscale convenience store around here that everybody's like obsessed with. Uh, so we got like a tattoo like when we like 10 years after we met for that and just like certain things like that. I don't necessarily have like a favorite. I just I think like the ones because then I have other ones. that's just like a butterfly. Like it doesn't mean anything. I just thought it was a cool picture. Like I wanted to get it. So I think the ones that like mean something to me um, are my, my more favorite ones. And it's cool because it's like a timeline of your life, kind of, you yeah. know. Wow. You're like, what the hell was I thinking? Or like, this is so cool. Like, you know, I've been getting tattooed since 1997. It's weird to me now because like everybody does it, and mm-hmm. um, I've been covered since I was like 18 years old. You know, all I had back then was like tattoo magazines. Like the internet wasn't even out yet, or maybe it was. I don't know, but I didn't have it until I was 19. And then when I had it, it was like. I'd be on the computer and I get kicked off because like I got a phone call at my house and like my mom would answer the phone and I. I love internet. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I don't even have much room left, but I'm like, God, if I actually had like my choice of all of these people and looking at all of these artists, I don't even know if I'd ever get tattooed. If I could even make a decision like that, if I had like brand new naked skin, you know. Speak volumes of the of the of the time we live in, where there's so much, so many options nowadays to choose from, and it almost cripples you, you know. So that's, yeah, that's and I'm I'm not good with options. Well, so we did have this is actually not a question. We had a a follower just wanted to send you a message. We found it really funny. They they it's this is cookie dot underscore, and they said that you and you once inspired them to dissect a fish. So. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to let you know, like you, you inspired someone out there to cut their dead fish open and uh, to check it out, which is pretty that's cool. cool. I've always, 
that makes me happy. Like one time I was just on vacation and I found this really big bug and I was just like, I just need to like cut this open and see what's going on in here. Like, is this thing pregnant or like? You're doing what you were meant to do, basically. (laughs) Like I'm on the beach with my kids and we find like these weird things that I guess they ended up being some kind of seaweed, but they were like puffy. And I was like, I gotta cut this open and see what's like it looks like inside with a seashell, you know? (laughs) Wow, that is just like always constantly curious, you know? Oh, absolutely. Likewise, man. That is so cool. Well, we're going to wrap it up. We actually went a little bit over time because this is such a fascinating conversation. Uh, I just appreciate having you on, you taking the time. And I did want to end with a few more questions. So one for everybody out there. Uh, if you could leave behind three things for all humans, your greatest lessons, uh, anything that you've learned, what would they be? I probably only have one, which is what I've said earlier. Just always be prepared for for something that's not going to be like routine, I guess you would say. It could just go in any aspect of your life. You can't plan anything. You can't say anything is going to be a certain way. And it could be as far as just my experience in medicine, like opening a body and like certain things along the way telling me that it's not right. And like you should always like trust your instincts because like things get triggered because you know, things aren't right. All of, especially now, I think I'm more enlightened now with the Instagram than with actually my work experience that like life is just so, it's so fragile. And it, you know, my grandma died at 99 years old. She was born in 1900, you know, and then it's, and then you have people that get horrible shit when they're 20 and like, just, you know, it just, it goes from like one extreme to another. I just lost one of my good friends at 42 years old from ALS, you know, and it's, it's like, you just, you just don't know where, you know, this guy, when I met him was like, Oh, I got to go. My, my voice sounds hoarse. It's starting to sound funny. Like I got to go get it checked out in endoscopy when he's like my age, like 39 years old. And then he finds out that he has ALS and that's like why his vocal cords are getting paralyzed, you know, like you just, and then all of a sudden went from like a guy that went to work every day that a guy that, uh, you know, last month was paralyzed in a wheelchair and had his wife taking care of him, you know, you don't know who you're going to be. You don't know, you know, when you go to get coffee in the morning, if you're going to be that person that, you know, someone is driving up the wrong side of the road and smashes into your car. So it's just like, don't don't put like a lot of pressure on yourself to live like to be a certain way because like you can't even though you do have some choices as far as how your life goes you don't at the same just you don't have a hundred percent control of anything you know right well I'm taking that to heart I'm gonna take that as advice to me <laughs> because uh, I definitely need to remember that every day thank you thank you so much uh, so our last question which we ask every single one of our uh, people who are on. So what is your definition of medspiration? I think that for me, it's, it's mostly showing people, I want to show people like how to live a healthier life and I'm going to give them the tools to do it and they could do whatever they want. Like I can't force anybody, but I'm just going to show them, I'm going to show them the facts from like a world that has previously been hush hush and only for us professionals to see mm-hmm. and um show them really like ugly sides of life you know pe- people on instagram want to just like take selfies and look hot and like people people don't want to know about it because it scares them you know a little bit yeah. i'm always trying to like no matter where i am or what situation i am you know i'm around smokers all the time i'm like you can't do this anymore like and i'll start showing them pictures and like no, this is actually, you know, I'll, I'll be around people who smoke, drink, and do other things, and, you know, I'll just start explaining the pathophysiology of what they're doing to their body. We're helping people at the end of the day. Yeah, and you know, it's hard giving... for us to turn off, you know? <laughs> I don't know how to turn it off. It's one of those things where uh, I think it's a blessing and a curse at the same time, but then again, you know, I feel like you know what you were put on this earth for, you know, and... You know, who's to say you're ever supposed to turn it off? You know, what if you're just supposed to keep doing you, you know, live every day like it's your last because you never know, man. 
just I just can't shut it off ever. Like I try really hard because I feel like I'm just so nerdy and scientific and like bo- like party killer all the time. Oh, it's okay. You, you give me comfort because I know there's more like me out there. So that's that that just makes me happy. <laughs> I'm like Debbie Downer at a party. Like, you really don't want to do cocaine because you can have an acute heart attack. Like, I, you know, <laughs> there, people yeah. are just like, I don't want you around me. I just want to chill. Right? Oh, that is so awesome. Well, Nicole, I can't tell you enough, man. Thank you so much for being on here. I feel like you gave so much insightful information to all of our followers out there, all the listeners. So um just to end it um what is your instagram handle uh how can people reach you are there any projects you're currently doing go ahead and uh let us know so my handle is at mrs mrs underscore angemi a-n-g-e-m-i it's just my name um it's been other cool things that would be catchier but like i said my account was deleted so many times so I just couldn't have I Heart Autopsy or something that was easy for people to remember. Currently, I'm I'm actually trying to get a TV show, believe it or not. Like, I've you been working. It. Yeah, I've been, like, working yeah. on it for a while. So I don't know if that's going to happen. But um, I was in L.A. a couple weeks ago kind of, like, trying to sell it to networks. So that's, like, a thing I'm working on. And um, just, like, possibly, like, a book. Um just like I have like my hands in a lot of different things that I'm, but like a lot of different things, but like nothing at the same time. you know. <laughs> well, um, you have so our just... complete support. We hope to have you back on this podcast and we'll see where our lives take us. And uh, we, we hope to continue to stay in touch and just, you know, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, for sure. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, Cannabis, Cigarettes, Alcohol, and Obesity. I thought it was powerful. If you guys loved it, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and give it a five-star rating. It would mean the world to me. You can message me and post this on your Instagram story right now. You can tag me at Medspiration. I want to hear from you. I want you to share this with your friends. Text it to a couple of friends you think would find it as powerful as we did. And again, a big thank you to our sponsor, Caribbean Medical University. Apply today and see if medicine is in your future. You can visit cmumed.org forward slash medspiration and enter the discount code MDSPR to have $74 taken off your application to receive a discount when you apply. Let's make a commitment together, guys, and attempt to live a healthier lifestyle, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And as always, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and do something med-spiring.